right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. You don't got time that, right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Adam Drovetta on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. We're going to have uh, DL squared on today's show. David Lesky, talk Royals with us at 340. David Lawrence, we'll talk... KU basketball with us. You know, I'm, I'm so used to calling David Lawrence DL that when I put together the the logs here uh, to record for the podcast, by the way, best of RCST podcast, you can check out that every uh, after every show. Um, but anyway, I, requ- I I labeled one as Lesky and one file as DL, and it honestly didn't even occur to me that they have the same initials because DL – I don't even think of as two separate letters. I just think of as the other name of David Lawrence. Right. You just think that that is like what he is called. Um, By the way, your NCAA tournament coverage here on RCST continuing on brought to you by CycleZone Power Sports, big city selection and small town service on bikes, off-road vehicles and watercrafts located off Highway 24 in Topeka. Make that fun and exciting purchase you know you've been wanting for the spring and summer ahead. Your RCST NCAA tournament coverage also presented by Panky Foundation Repair. What's the key to a strong team? A strong foundation. It's the same for a house. Get your home's foundation inspected today for free with Panky Foundation Repair. You can also receive 10% off if you call Panky Foundation Repair and mention you heard it on Rock Chalk Sports Talk at 785 505 0577. 785 505 0577. KU moving on into the NCAA tournament. They move on to the Sweet 16. Never had a doubt, did you? Never had a doubt. Definitely not. They didn't even trail in the second half against Creighton. That is crazy thinking back because that game was such a I don't know I mean it wasn't like the Purdue second round game as far from that right I've been telling folks around the office that I get so and you probably feel the same way during games particularly tournament games like if it's early in the season I'll only watch the one time but if it's a really intense like necessary game I'll usually in order to talk about it on the air I'll usually have to go back over it either watch it a second time or at least go over highlights the second time because there are, I get like I'm so nervous and and um, you know and anxious during the game itself that I forget a lot of important details. And so I was going over it a couple hours later, and I go, "Wait a minute, we didn't even trail in the second half. That's incredible." And then like I had forgotten, like in the in the heat of the moment when I was going back and and looking back over things, I'd forgotten about the Ochai steal to go from one to three, like. It's amazing the important details you miss when you're so emotionally engaged and just from possession to possession. Yeah, the first game that they played was very much not like that. Uh, Texas Southern, I I walked away from that game with a couple takeaways, and and one of them, obviously, Remy played really well in that game, too. But the biggest takeaway I had in that game was just Texas Southern's really bad. I mean, they're a 16 seed, too. You don't expect them to be a great team. But, like, you see Georgia State playing Gonzaga to a two-point game at halftime or... Um, you see Wright State not really ever threaten Arizona, but kind of stay within like 12 to 20. Yeah. 
And you see Texas Southern, you're like, wow. Yeah, there are certain. That's a basketball team. Yeah, there are certain 116 teams, or 116, like Kansas even, in 2002, they that was the team, they, they're, you know, everyone's talking, they go 16-0, and they're the first team ever to go undefeated in Big 12 play. Um, and then what happens? They're losing at halftime to Holy Cross, their 16 seed. I think it was, uh, was it Eastern Kentucky or Western Kentucky in 2013? Western. That gave the KU as a one seed that gave them trouble. Um, but then, yeah, then you've got games like this. KU played Niagara, I remember, in 07. And there was, because KU had lost in 05 and 06 in the first round. And there was like, oh, man, if they really continue that streak, they're it's going to look awful because they're a one. And they just, it was very similar. This That game was like 109 to 51. It was just a complete blowout. Um, so, yeah, you get. You know, you get ones in night 16s that it's kind of scary with 12 minutes left, and then you get ones in 16s that you can turn off at halftime. So that game was not even close. And then, yeah, you do get the close game against Creighton, which was kind of funny because, you know, we, we spent all this time talking about how San Diego State could be a tough matchup and everything. And we did mention last week, while all that is true, like the game is a coin flip game, and Creighton ends up coming back, uh, beating San Diego State in overtime. Their center, Ryan Kalkbrenner, gets hurt. I, I know, you know, it's very easy to say, well, Kansas barely beat Creighton, and Creighton was without two of their best players, uh, one of them in Nembhard, the point guard who got injured weeks ago, the other in Kalkbrenner. Uh, you know, sometimes you play kind of above your wits, which was the case in this game, and there's no guarantee that even though Ryan Kalkbrenner makes Creighton a better team, it doesn't guarantee that they're better that day and beat Kansas because, to a certain extent, not having Ryan Kalkbrenner allowed Creighton to play a style of play that made it more difficult on Kansas. They had uh, that Kaluma guy in at the five. He played all 40 minutes of the game. He was fantastic. He goes for a career-high 24 points. He goes 4 of 10 from 3, 12 rebounds. If you have Kalkbrenner, they're playing a more traditional style of play. And I'm not saying KU wouldn't have been tested by Creighton, but... I almost wonder if by having the really good center, it would have played more into Kansas's hand. I think the style changes. You're absolutely right. And I think there's something to be said. The first game with a second quarterback, with a second string quarterback, other guys step up. I think they call it the Ewing theory, right? Yeah. In basketball. The, the, it's the second game that without a bit, without a, a, your best player, your quarterback, whomever, in this case, you're, you're really, you know, you're starting center. Um, with Creighton, so it's it's all like I think if Creighton had gotten past Kansas, they would have gotten throttled by Providence because it's the second game without the you know where you're, the letdown I think begins. The first game, there's so much adrenaline, um, and yeah, I think there's something to be said about you know there's something to be said about the style they play. Do they shoot eighty-seven threes? Um, what I found so weird did did you notice the threes? They either hit or they were way off. They, there was none that like bounced. Yeah, was like rimmed out. There was yeah. one that was like was halfway there? down and popped out. But outside of that, yes. But it, it I think just, it was Alex O'Connell. It seemed like a lot of them. It was either they they were just a dead on splash or not even close. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I don't know. I just I kept waiting for, you know. I I texted you this. I got I got way too comfortable when with Kansas up nine. Because I was just like, all right, this is it. Shots are starting to fall for Kansas. Ochai seems to have turned it on. Um, and, you know, this is, you know, the, these ridiculous threes. The Creighton's a 30-something percent, 32, 33% three-point shooting team. 
that's going to cool off. All right, KU's going to edge the, you know, going to going to come away and they're going to win between 9 and 13 points. Yeah. And next thing I know it's one and Creighton has the ball. Yeah, Creighton even after the game is 305th in the country in three-point percentage. Um the 10 games coming into that, they were shooting 29% on the season under 31. It's uh it <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, on, on one hand, there is a little bit of the worry of, well, we've seen this story so many times before where Kansas plays a team who just goes bananas from three, and then you see Providence going off from three against Richmond, and, you know, it just makes you wonder down the road, is is this just something that continues to be a problem for KU defensively in the NCAA tournament? But I also think, to that same point, that's got to be a great sign that you overcame a game where your opponent had a big three-point shooting game. They go 12 of 28 from three. So it wasn't just high percentage. It was high volume as well. You only shot 41% from the field. You had a solid efficiency day from three, 37.5%, but you only shot 16 times from three. So I I think, you know, it, it doesn't always work. Like, it's not a guarantee that if your opponent shoots really well from 3-1 game that the next game they're all of a sudden going to shoot poorly. But there is sometimes a little bit of that. You can't expect teams to shoot 45%, 50% from three against you every game. And so for Kansas to actually win a game where the opponent did that, like, that, that's a great sign. I agree. Um, and I would I would add another one. And you, you texted me on Saturday. It's and said basically what you just said there. If you told me Creighton would go 12 for 28 for three from three, I thought for sure we'd lose. Um, and I would add to this, 12 for 28 from three, and Ochai doesn't score in the first yeah. half. And I think, you know, the discussion, and we'll talk this week, about, you know, he's still, ever since basically the Baylor game, he's still kind of iffy. Um, now we'll he take play- it a step further. He, he played- if I told you, and, and I'll say this, like, I know you're getting here with Ochai. Played well in the second half. Jalen, yep. I thought, even had a great game, even though he didn't shoot well, but he did have a great game. But if I told you Jalen and Ochai went 10 of 28 combined, yeah, wouldn't make you feel great. Yeah, I agree. And and um, and you know, but but yeah, credit Ochai. He was outstanding, and he was he was you had um, you had two conference players of the year pl- playing at their highest level in the second half of that game. Um, and it's still, you still needed to shoot free throws down the stretch to win it. Yeah, they're money um, at the line. I mean, they, it, it, you know, so, um, I don't know. I, I, you know, it, but that, you know, Ochai struggling in the first half, Creighton making great shot after great shot. Derek, the X Factor. Time Remy to bring Martin. him up. Remy Martin, man. I, it's amazing. We've, like, how many times do we just half heartedly, not even just go, man, yeah, it wouldn't be something if he turned it on in March. Oh, I know. Never because, thinking it was going to happen. Well, it's like, see, now, you know what the problem with this is? This is going to be the expectation now, because the Malik Newman thing, when it happened with Malik, it was like, okay, this is a once-in-a-generation type it's, thing, it's right? It's how I felt in 2019, mm-hmm. or 2020. Frank Clark was bad through 2019, turned it on in the playoffs, turned around in 2020, and of course the Chiefs still went back to the Super Bowl that year, but in the, through the, at the regular season of 2020, a lot of Chiefs fans, oh, just wait, Frank Clark's going like to turn, yeah. turn, turn it on in the playoffs again, don't worry about it, he'll be, and then what happens in the playoffs? Surprise, he didn't turn it on, because it was just a weird thing that had happened in the Super in the playoffs the year the Chiefs yeah, won the Super Bowl. It's hard to flip the switch. So that's my thought, okay, sure, yeah, Malik Newman did it, these things don't happen again, What? Three years later, 
right? Or four years, three, whatever we are. Three yeah. tournaments later. Yeah, sure. There we go. Unbelievable. And I guess this one does make more sense if you think about it from the standpoint. Because like, you'd seen it at right. some point. Like, you'd never seen that with Malik Newman. I think it's it's very fair to say, like, I know a lot was made of while Remy was playing injured or when he was out that maybe there was more going on than just the injury. And maybe there was. But I think it's pretty apparent that that injury was very much bothering Remy Martin. Yeah, he looks fantastic. And uh, yeah, I think. Um, and look, I, you know what? I want to give credit. And maybe if you want to get a little black helicopter conspiracy, you could say, um, you know, because they they did have a he was cleared to play. Then the next game he didn't play. There was that that stretch. Now look, and self has said it, it's he said he he had a great answer. Um, and I think it was Chris Lilly of KAKE in Wichita. I want get asked a great question about Remy, and Self had a really good answer. Um, and he said he talked about how Remy's kind of tough to read because he doesn't like to tell people when he's feeling, you know, how you know that he's not feeling great. And that's and he said structurally he's fine, but you know it's obviously a painful injury self said that either during their media session on the on the off day on friday or he said it thursday after the game um but i bring that up because i i do wonder like if you want to get black helicopter conspiracy you could say that they the self just said no you're sitting we want to get you 100 percent right for the tournament but i think and and I also, but I also want to say credit one credit Remy Martin for turning it on when he has, two credit Remy Martin for listening to to his body and saying and, and even though structurally everything looked fine, being open and because it's hard. Look, athletes are so highly competitive. They don't. Yes, you're. It's hard to say no. I'm not. I don't want to. I don't want to go to it. That's hard knowing that this is your last chance to get a look at whether it be the NBA or overseas. Like, this is everything for him. This year has been everything. So credit to Remy for being honest about how he's mm-hmm. feeling. And then credit to Self, because I think a lot of coaches, you know, there's kind of this, in a lot of sports movies, you'll see the coach be like, oh, you got to fight through it. Da, 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 da. And look, fine, sometimes you do have to fight through nicks and bruises and pains, and, and that that's life. But credit to Remy for turning it on when he has. Credit for, to Remy for being honest with how he felt throughout the season. And credit to self for for listening to him and not not push not not saying no. I don't care how you feel. You got to push through. You got to push through. Credit to him for saying okay. If your knee's not feeling good, you can't play basketball, and 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 staying off of him. And I don't at least publicly. I don't know if they had conversation behind closed doors that self tried to push his buttons or not. I don't know that. But when it comes to the who he played in games, he he kept Remy out when Remy said I don't feel it. Yeah, and. I mean, point blank, Remy, and I guess you could just say the bench if you really wanted to, but if I said that, it would basically just boil down to Remy Martin. I mean, I guess you could toss it. Jalen Coleman-Lance was, was good. He he had five points. And and a ba- he had the three to put KU up nine. And when KU was really struggling, like if you, you know, before the season we, we talked about how Jalen Coleman-Lance was, was Ochag Baji insurance in case Ochag didn't come back. Well, if you view him as we have Ochai plus Jalen, then they combined for 20 points on 7 of 16 shooting, right? And they went 2 of 4 from 3. So he, he does count there. And yes, Mitch played a little, Joe played a tiny amount, KJ a little, whatever. Remy basically did all the bench scoring. But he gave you a bench punch when you haven't always had that this year. 20 points, 7 rebounds, 4 assists. He was phenomenal. He His offense in the second half fell off, or, or I guess I should say the shot making fell off a little mm-hmm. bit in the second half. He still made shots. 
Um, but the first half, he carried you through that first half. And think about that. All the, I guess, the worries and the concerns about what was happening with Creighton hitting all these threes, I think a lot of those were quelled a little bit by, okay, they're hitting all these threes and we're still winning. What was it, 38-37 or 39-38 half? I know it was a one-point lead. It was uh, 39-38. So it's 39-38. It's, it, without Remy, it's probably th- – or if with Remy not playing up to that level, like it's very possible you go into that halftime down thirty eight twenty. Yeah, and, and I the way the rest of the team was shooting, I don't know if like let's say they're even down one. Is is that enough of a difference, or is that talked about in the locker room? And that's a boost that like, hey, they're playing well and we're still winning. Yeah, I don't know, but Remy was phenomenal all game long. The quickness it, is there, the shot makes there, and it wasn't just that game. He was great against Texas. Yes, Southern he was, too. and and you could say. Um, and in the Big Twelve tournament, so and, this and, is a string of what four straight games now. Yes, and I think as we as we if we would have had a show on Friday, the talk would have been, man, okay, you you saw it in Kansas City. Now look, let's see it tomorrow against Creighton because this is just Texas Southern. You saw it against Creighton, and I want to add, it, it's not just the spark off the bench; it's the spark off the bench that the other team doesn't have an answer to, because in building, you know, in building how you play your bench, a lot of times a coach. All right, they look down the line. Oh, that that coach is substituting in this guy. Okay, cool. Time for me to substitute in this guy. And and chess piece for chess piece. You don't have that answer because not only is Remy Martin a starting caliber player, he has moments and over the course of the last five games has shown what made him a Pac-12 player of the year quality player, not just a starter. And so not only is it a spark off the bench, it's a guy off the bench that the other team can't go, oh, here's my response to that. Because he's he would start on any other team in the, in the Power Five. I mean, Remy Martin would be a starter for any any other team, save maybe, what, the other ones and twos in this you know, tournament? Like maybe Villanova, because they have Colin Gillespie. I don't yeah. know, they probably still start. Who knows? Um, these are Remy Martin's numbers over the last four games. 14 points per game, four assists per game, Five rebounds per game, and he is doing that while shooting slightly over 50% from the field and 33%, I believe, from three-point range. That'll get it done. Yeah. It, it's It's been – and he's got to continue it, and we'll talk more later, but um, – But it, it know, definitely – It's – he's been – every – there's not – you could not – look, you would have been – in a fantasy world, if you would have asked for this, let alone asking for more, you would have been in a fantasy world asking for this if if yes. it was February. Like, if you come in the the Monday after Kansas just gets rolled by Kentucky, or any time, even, even if you would have come in at any time during that stretch where KU won six out of seven, or five out of seven, whatever it was, and you said, well, you know, just imagine if Remy can, can throw in however many points per game. Nobody would have asked for that because nobody thought it would have happened. He's become what he was in the second half against Michigan State, and that was before Thanksgiving. Yeah, and that is so important for KU moving forward. Um, also, wasn't the most productive game, by the way, for we mentioned with Ochai, not for him either in terms of efficiency, but still filled up the stat sheet, made big plays at the end. Uh, wasn't the most productive game from Dave either, and I think that was a little bit of what Creighton was doing defensively. They wanted to make sure he didn't beat them without Kalkbrenner, which 
opened up the game a little bit for Remy and uh, Dewan Harris. But same thing for Jalen. Not super efficient game. Same for Dave in terms of shooting the ball. But I'll be damned if both those guys, and again, if you want, add Ochai in here too, didn't make big-time winning plays despite it not totally going their way shooting-wise. The big block by Dave. That was, I would give more credit to Dave. That was maybe the biggest play of the game. I would agree. Or the and, Ochai and steal. The Ochai, but the thing about, and, and why I would give, and, and this is maybe somewhat splitting hairs, I would give more credit to Dave on the actual play because Ochai, now look, he made a heads-up play, he went down, he finished the play, he dunked it, but that, that was a bad pass. Um, that wasn't necessarily a bad shot by Creighton. Dave just got right in and blocked it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the Jayhawks, I don't want to say, you know, lucky. I don't, I don't believe that there's ever a fluke in a win, no matter a win or a loss. I don't think, I think luck kind of balances out over the course of time. Um, uh, but I do think that one play KU kind of got lucky off of a questionable pass by Creighton that wound up in the arms of Ochai. That was not a questionable move by Creighton. That was just Dave making a great play. Yeah, and Jalen with 14 rebounds has the the big rebound off the Ochai missed free throw, which at that point they might have won anyway, but that just kind of put the nail KU's in the coffin. KU's only missed free throw worked <laughs> out rebound. for them. Now, did they get a three or a two out of that? Uh... I don't even remember. At that point, it was just like, but okay, either way, KU won the game. KU, yeah. KU's only missed free throw was probably a better result than making it would have been. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it chewed up more time. Because, yeah, I think it was 76-72 when he missed. I don't know. Either, either way, way, huge game for Jalen. Uh, big moments from some of the other guys. Christian Brown, again, efficient. Keep shooting threes. Don't pass them up. Keep I, shooting. That's, yeah, that's <laughs> getting to be a problem. And Remy. Awesome. He is Adam Brevetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. David Lesky joins us in 15 minutes. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017-1320-KLWN. I am Adam Dravetta. Here's Derek Johnson. We've got the daily poll coming up for you. Next segment is going to be David Lesky with some Royals talk. But first, I want to tell you about a cool deal from Service Master Cleaning and Restoration. They're serving local this Wednesday at the Sandwich Bowl over on 6th and Wakarusa. You can choose from a better cheeseburger or bacon, avocado, turkey, and Havarti sandwich or a flying pig sandwich. Each comes with chips or carrots. To help restore a local restaurant, Service Masters picking up the tab for the first 100 meals, dine-in or carry-out, or call-ahead while supplies last. That's this Wednesday at the Sandwich Bowl at 6th and Wakarusa. Try a bath, that's the bacon, avocado, and turkey and Havarti sandwich, a burger, or a flying pig, courtesy of Service Master, helping to restore the local business economy. Awesome. Cool stuff. So, yeah, get your lunch for free on Wednesday. Okay, um, as we were talking about, this will be for our daily poll. You can give us a follow and go vote yourself at RCST1320. What was the play of the game for the KU game against Creighton? Um, we talked about David McCormick's block. Obviously, a huge play late in the game. There was the Ochagbaji steal that also led to the Ochai dunk and gave you some distance from being up one to being up three. 
And then uh, another one that was pretty important, even though Kansas eventually let it get closer from there, it felt like it gave you a little bit of separation with just under five minutes to go. Christian Brown hits the three to extend it from 68-64 to 71-64. Okay. And, okay, as we were talking about before we went to break there, uh, Kevin Flaherty, who we'll have on tomorrow, 24-7 Sports, tweeted this out earlier today. Christian Brown is shooting 60% from three over Kansas's last 10 games. But he is only taking three attempts from three per game. He need and how many times, man? I mean, look how much that would be better. What the sixty percent three a game? You're, I mean, look from th- with three attempts, you're better you're off better, than shooting forty percent on six attempts. Yes, I was going to say fifty percent on four attempts because that's still less than sixty is less than because um, two two a game would be thirty or sixty six percent two out of three, and sixty percent is a little less than two a game. You're better off, yeah, 50% on four a game, 40% on six a game. I mean, and, and there's you, so you, many and that he seen, passes up, he fakes, he dribbles, and kicks it around. specific ones. You've seen specific shots. It's not like, oh, you should shoot more. We'll pick the ones you need to, sh- you know, he should be shooting. It's not like Dewan Harris, where it's like he'll, you know, they're, they're playing off of him and occasionally he just gets such an open look, he can't pass it up. Um, but in Christian Brown's case, there's been multiple every game that he has and just passes up and I, I I hope that changes. And look, man, I know I, I different um different mock drafts have him go in different places. He could and look, he may go after this year. I don't know what his plans are. Um and I don't know what the what the scouts will say. I imagine he'll go to the combine. But uh if he comes back, he could become like a guy who if you if you up that shooting a little bit, man, you could be talked about as a as a borderline lottery pick. Yeah, it's just it's weird because he just he doesn't want to pull it all the time. I, I don't know because that's the thing. Like a a semi contested Christian Brown three is gonna be as you know good of a a shot that KU is gonna get outside of a wide open three or a layup or a dunk something yeah. like that. Like that's gonna be as uh, about as efficient. So uh, you want to see a little bit more of that. But I feel like we've been having this conversation too for quite a while on Christian this season, so I, I'm i not really expecting it to change. But, you hope, like, Creighton game, he only took two threes. That was the only three that he made. It was obviously yeah. a very big one, and Christian played great overall. He had 13 points, eight rebounds, four assists. He was a really good player, as he has been all season long. You just wish that there were some uh, more threes that, you know, you don't want the, maybe not the Brandon Green trigger or Something like that, you know, name your player who just every time they touch the ball, it's a shot. But, you know, maybe a little more selfishness. I don't think that'd I, be the worst thing. Yeah, and, and how many, I mean, the, there were multiple times where, it, it you know, he, he would pass up a decent look and drive, and then after either drive or kick it back out. And look, if you drive and the result of you driving is kicking it out for Ochai for a wide open three, great. But there were a lot of times where... A lot's not the right word. There were multiple times, however, where Christian Brown passed up an open three, and then the next step was kicking it back out to Remy or Dewan to reset the offense and try to run something else. Sometimes the best look you're going to get is a decently open shot with a, with a guy closing in on you. Now, he did get swatted. I can't remember which game it was. At one point, either in the Big 12 tournament, I think it was against Texas Southern, I think he got smacked on on attempting a three because the dude closed out really really well, but that's going to be the exception, not the rule. And you know, I just I I would love to see him just 
have a little more of an itchy trigger finger. Like you said, he didn't go to the extreme, but. Yeah. All right, you can vote what you think the play of the game is at RCST 1320. I think I was thinking of David McCormick, but I think I've shifted over the Ochai one because it also led directly to two points. All right, with Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. David Lesky of Inside the Crown joins us next to talk Royals baseball on FM 1017 1320 KLWN, depending on it. Getting to that time of year, we're actually going to have baseball in early April. I mean, technically we have baseball right now. Um, the Royals are actually playing a spring training game right now. We're joined by David Lesky of Inside the Crown, who check out his work. Um, you can uh, get ready for the baseball season. On top of that, they're doing uh, a giveaway of some cool like glasses with Inside the Crown as well. So go check that out with David Lesky. So, David, right now the Royals are down one nothing in the bottom of the first of this spring training game to the Angels. Do we blow it up now? Do we blow it up a month? Uh, what's the problem here? Well... You're behind. It's the bottom of the second, so it's, ah. it's even uglier than, than you were. Yeah, it's, <laughs> this is almost over. I mean, it's it's you know you got to look at this and and think should they start moving guys? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, although I will say Brady Singer, whew, he um he want when you have a rough year, you want to make a good first impression when you're first back out there, and um, he did not do that in the first. <laughs> So, um, but you know, it's the first inning of a spring training, so it's not not a big deal. Of course, just it's just good to see them out there. Okay, so Zach Granke signs with the Royals. Um, what does he bring to the team? What are your expectations for what he can provide this season? Well, I mean, there's two aspects of Granke, right? There, there's what he does on the field and what he does with the young guys off the field. Um, on the field, I think he's an improvement over the guy he replaced. I mean, it was, it, he's not exactly minor for Grinky, but it's pretty much minor for Grinky. And, um, you know, I think, I think Grinky is, is a better pitcher, even at this stage of his career than Mike minor. So they got better there. He doesn't strike out a bunch of guys anymore, but he has pinpoint control. Um, a lot of his struggles came. I, I think I thought he wore down. I did not realize this is a bad job on me. Apparently he missed two weeks with COVID last year and then came back and struggled the rest of the way. So, I think that you. I think there's a fair assumption to be made that everything that happened after that is something that you can at least kind of ignore generally, and maybe keep it in the back of your mind, knowing it happens that he is lost. He was even now a little bit farther. He struck out even fewer. His control wasn't quite as good. All that, but it just feels like that was something that you know, it's in the past. It's over. I don't. I don't necessarily think it's it's a a long term concern there. So on the field, that that's what you got. I mean, he's he's going to give you. Roughly six innings a start. He's, he's not 2009 Zach Greinke. I mean, we are not going to be celebrating a Cy Young season from him in all likelihood. But he's still a good pitcher, and that that's really helpful to the staff. But you know, he when they, when he first signed, my thought was, well, I hope he I hope he's good with the young guys and blah blah blah. And then you start to hear these stories about how he's been watching bullpens already, and how he told Brady Singer things that Brady Singer needed to hear even though he didn't want to necessarily hear them. And then you see the game yesterday, and the thing that stuck out to me um, on the broadcast, Joel Goldberg interviewed Daniel Lynch, and this guy was on, like, walking on air, talking about Zach Grinke, talking to him for 45 minutes. I mean, that's the sort of thing that if you, if you want to look for a value in Zach Grinke in 2026, that's what it is. He's been, and he's done it. 18 years He's won a Cy Young. He had a one six five ERA or something years ago and finished second in the Cy Young. 
I mean, he's, and he's done it in every different way. He's been a finesse pitcher, a power pitcher. He's got, I think, 37 different pitches. I mean, the, he, he has he has everything you want in somebody, and if he's willing to impart that knowledge, the Royals could benefit from, from one year of Grinky, and it may not be just one year, but for now it is. They could benefit for years from that. Well, who knows, too, if, if I mean, they are out of it, one of your contract, then you can get some prospects out of him as well. Right. Exactly. Uh, exactly. There, there's a move there to be made, too. What are the chances that he ends up as the opening day starter? Uh, I would say, if, if, I, I know we like to bet on this show, and I would say it's a pretty safe bet. I, I would I would put down I would put down however however many units you want to on that because I think it's a pretty pretty odds on favorite for Zachary. The only I mean I guess they are still in it for Frankie Montas, and I still don't think Montas will start opening day, but he would be the only wrinkle in that pretty much. So as long as Frankie's healthy, I think he's the guy getting the ball on April seventh. You mentioned Mike Miner being shipped out. That's basically the exchange with, with Granky. You get back Amer- Amir Garrett from the Reds. Uh, does Garrett give the extra punch that the Royals' bullpen needs? Well, yeah. See what I did probably. there? Poss- <laughs> yeah, I get it. <laughs> he, he likes to fight. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's funny, too. You know, people talk about that brawl with the Pirates, and I think I may have written this. I don't know, but... It, the Reds didn't brawl with the Pirates. Amir Garrett brawled with the Pirates. <laughs> <laughs> like, the entire it was incredible. Um, yeah, I mean, he's coming off a bad year, but he has a really good slider. He's got a fastball that if he's commanding it, he's a, he's a really good lefty. Um, I, I think he's I think he rounds out the bullpen pretty perfectly. I mean, there are probably guys you could have gotten maybe were a little bit more consistent. But before 2021, Garrett had three really good seasons. So I, when you add him to Barlow and Stalin and Dylan Coleman and Jake Brent and Denise Tapia and Joel Hyams and, and, and a bunch of these guys who are pretty solid relievers, I think he helps to really round out the bullpen in a way that takes them from you know, potentially good to potentially great. Uh, th- and look, there there are still some question marks. I mean, I, I'm I'm sitting here counting on Dylan Coleman, who's thrown five big league games. So <laughs> it's it's not it's not a foregone conclusion. But I just really like his arm. Um, Scott Barlow was really good last year, but he had a ERA over four the last two years. And the ERA is not the best indicator for relievers, but it's it's something to look at. You know, Stalman has control problems at times. Jake Brent struggled with the zone, especially in the second half last year. So it's not a guarantee that this is going to be a good bullpen, but Amir Garrett gives them just another high-quality arm that I think I think can help them. I think help, they can help them quite a bit. Um, and, you know, I've said this before, but with a young staff outside of Grinky, um, it, it's really important to protect leads. And, you know, there, there, there comes a point when, when a young starter goes six, seven innings and, and – doesn't win and only wins half the time, something like that, it, it can get demoralizing. So it's important that they build this good bullpen to help these young guys with their psyche at the very least. And, and I think getting Garrett helps quite a bit with that. You mentioned Frankie Montas and the A's have been sellers so far this offseason, whether it's it's Montas or Manaya who are still on the team that are being dangled out there. Um, are there any other moves that you could see the Royals making or any other moves that you think they should make or areas that they need to shore up right now? Well, I, I think that they're – it kind of depends on the alignment on the field because if you've got 
But let's say you've got Whit Merrifield at second, Nicky Lopez at short, and Bobby Witt at third. Or it doesn't really matter if it's Witt at short, Mondesi at third, whatever it is. If you've got Whit Merrifield in the field, I guess is, is all that really matters here. You probably want a right-handed hitting fourth outfielder who can handle center field, which is very specific. But because um, you're likely going to have Kyle Isbell playing right field, and so you want to have a, a, a bat for him for, against a tough lefty. Um, but if you've got Whit Merrifield playing right field, I don't know that it's that important. That said, you probably still need somebody who can handle center to give Michael A. Taylor a day off here and there. And, you know, that could be Jacoby Jones, so maybe he's in camp already. That's not exactly the exciting name. But they could look look to somebody for that role. Um, I, I think they're probably done in the bullpen. I, the, the only – the real big move that I could see left if they don't if they don't make a move for Montas, which again, everything I've heard is that they're still in on this. And I don't know, the A's dragging it out makes it sound like it's going to be a crazy, crazy return, but still they're in on it. Um, I could still see Carlos Santana getting traded. I think at this point, because the dominoes have fallen and there's just not a need for him on other teams. I think you're going to have to wait to see if there's an injury toward the end of spring training. Um, but you know, the end of spring training is not too far from the beginning because of the condensed spring. So it, we'll, we'll find that out pretty soon. But other than that, I think it's, it's the, this is the team you're going to see. And, and with the short spring, I don't think there's a ton of battles just because there's not time for battles. you got to get your guys ready um, and you know let them, let them work their way to the big leagues from AAA at this point because there's, you, know, you, just can't, you can't be giving it back to guys to see what, they're, what they are because you got to get your guys ready to go. Well, it's impossible not to have a conversation about the Royals right now and, and not bring up Bobby Witt Jr. at some point. Uh, what do you think Ooh. his chances of making the opening day roster is, and, and do you think that's the right decision with whatever you think they're going to do? I would say, I mean, whatever the closest thing to 100% that I can get in before this spot is over is is the number. There is a point oh one percent chance that he goes oh for the next thirty five, and he's he's in AAA. But I mean, this, he's on the roster. I mean, there are so many indicators. One, look at the lineup today. It's all backups, and Bobby Wood Jr. is not in it. It's all minor league guys, and Bobby Wood Jr. is not in it. Um, I also think that the fact that he's hitting eighth in the first two games, I think that's been a pretty big indicator that he is on the team because they're not trying to get him at bats to see him. They're just getting him in the lineup. He's just getting his work. He leaves with the starters. I don't know. I, I think it's, I think it's pretty obvious that unless something catastrophic happens, he is on the opening day roster. And I think it's right. Um, for a number of reasons. One, he's the, he's the Vegas favorite to win rookie of the year. Um, I think that's still the case. I don't, I haven't looked in the last couple of days, but he was last week. Um, the new, the new CBA, if there's, you can't really gain service time for a rookie of the year because he gets a full year if he wins it or if he finishes second, I think. So, you know, I, th- I think they have to assume that he's going to win rookie of the year. Um, not, not that he necessarily is preordained or anything, but you've got to play it that way because why, why lose 20 games of him and then just never get that? Um, and, you know, get, get him on the big league roster, get him going. And then, and I'm, I, like I said, I would, I would bet, Quite more than I would bet on Green being the opening day starter. I, w- I would bet Bobby Wood Jr. is on the roster. 
Yeah, it's 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 very interesting because I I see how the Cubs handled like with Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo and those guys, and you know it's nice to have the extra year of control, but um, in the end, like that cost those guys signing with the teams, and um, I, I I don't know uh, for a team like the Royals, I guess it depends how much John Sherman's willing to invest if if you're comfortable losing that extra year and and. You're gonna say, "Hey, we're we're gonna pay you when it's do your time." Like we just saw, who knows? Maybe it's before then. We just saw Wander Franco get a huge extension with uh, the yeah. Tampa Bay Rays. I, I don't know. Maybe that's something in the cards uh, as well. Um, yeah, the blueprint's out there for sure. Is there a storyline outside of Bobby Witt Jr. or you know Zach Granke, whatever that that you find most intriguing, most interesting in spring training right now? Well, I mean, it's kind of the same as the last couple of years, which is super boring, but. It is the young pitching. You know, this is, well, I guess you can add in Prado and Melendez now to that on the offensive side. But no matter, you know, adding Zach Greinke, adding Amir Garrett, if they trade for Frankie Montas, if they signed Michael Conforto, I mean, you're talking about all these things. None of it really matters if the young guys don't get going. Because, yeah, Greinke probably takes them from, whatever, 76 to 78 wins. Okay. Maybe Amir Garrett takes them from 78 to 79. I don't know if that's even true. But, you know, for the, for the argument, if they were to sign, if they were to trade for Montas, maybe he gets them to 82. But it's not going to make the playoffs still. It still doesn't matter what these guys are or do for the Royals if Daniel Lynch, Brady Singer, Chris Bubich, Jackson Coar, Carlos Hernandez, all these young arms, if they don't figure, if some of them don't figure it out, and if Melendez and Prado and Witt and Kyle Isbell and anybody behind them don't hit, ultimately it doesn't matter. And so, to me, that, that's the biggest thing to watch is the, the development of these guys. And one thing that's been really encouraging to me is and it's two, two spring training games and, and they're in the top of the third now. So, you know, it's not, it's not exactly a huge sample. But Nick Prado's at-bats look very big league. They, they really do. I mean, he struck out against Otani in the first, but it's Otani. Um, MJ Melendez did really well off, off a couple tough, tough lefties. Um, it's, it's, <laughs> these guys, these guys can, can play. And Jackson Collar, I thought he looked good yesterday. So there are, there are stories to watch there because again, if, if they don't, if they don't figure it out, none of it matters. They need, they need to find guys out of this group or else we're waiting for the next group, which thankfully, because the development changing a little bit, isn't quite as far away as the last time we had to wait for the next group. But I mean, these, these are the important players. Um, and so to me, that, that, that's what's most, that's what's most interesting to watch. Talking with David Leskew of Inside the Crown here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. As we, as we look at the division as a whole, uh, twins have shaken things up. White Sox pretty loaded. Tigers have added some with a young team. Uh, Guardians ownership is not doing anything, but they do have some talent on the team. Uh, where do you see the Royals in the AL Central pecking order right now, and, and how does it feel uh, in terms of, like, is there more variance this year with, with how all those teams could finish than maybe in some years past? I think so. I think the White Sox are pretty clearly still the best. Um, if the Twins had another pitcher, and they're in on Montas too, um, they could challenge the Correa signing. Um, they were able to get out of the Donaldson money, and and I think getting Sonny Gray helps there. I think that they're a better team than they were 
two weeks ago before the lockout ended. Um, the uh, the Tigers, they did most of their moves before, um, but they added Javi Baez, Eduardo Rodriguez. Um, I feel like I'm missing somebody. Um, but they've got a top prospect coming up. I mean, they're, they're in a similar position to the Royals as far as young arms and young bats. So they could be really good. The, the Guardians, yeah, I mean, they've still got that rotation and top flight closer. They don't, they can't really hit, which is a, a little bit of an issue. Um, but I mean, they they tend to always stick around too. And then the Royals, like I said, they're, they're, there's some variance there. I think they, they probably have the highest um, low end and high end win total variance in the American League Central. And I mean, right now, I'd probably say that the Royals are. <clears throat> I mean, they're they're they could be anywhere from second to fifth, which I know is is a stupid cop out answer, and I apologize, but it's just it's hard <laughs> to know right now. It really is. I mean, if you made me bet, I would bet them for fourth. Um, but <laughs> it would it would take very little argument to get me to bump them to second or down to fifth. Here's David Lesky. You can check out all his work. Subscribe to his Substack Inside the Crown. Before we let you go, David, one last thing with Adam. All right, David, one last thing. What kind of ointment do you use for a bad boobitch? <laughs> well, um, first of all, I prefer to call it a pectoral itch. Um, Good call. But uh, I, um, they, I, I actually I, I get weird heat things on my like elbow sometimes, and I use cortisone cream, and it's, it, it works magically. Okay, there you go. Not just Royals baseball, but... Uh... Health advice. Medical advice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> From David Lusky, Inside the Crown. David, appreciate the time as always, man. Yeah, thanks, guys. All right, that's David Lusky. You can check out all his work, Inside the Crown, on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. One hour down, two to go. This is FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, and KLWN.com. Case of the Mondays, next. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Morning after your weekend-long bender? Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. Instead of focusing on Monday, it's time to rehash the glory days of the weekend that was right now on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson. When you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you, sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays? No. No, man. All right, it is your Monday. I am having a case of the Mondays today. I think a lot of people are. It's like a sports case of the Mondays. You watch basketball for, gosh, what is that, 96 straight hours, essentially. And really, I mean, honestly, this year, you know, not every year is the first four is is that good or do people watch it. Maybe some people still didn't watch it. But, like, that, that first four game on Wednesday night with Notre Dame and Rutgers was awesome. It was honestly one of the best games of the week. Um, so you watch basketball, like, nonstop for, like, four straight days. And then you get to today, really the next couple days, and you're just like, come on. Give Where me more is basketball. it? Yeah. Where it's is not it? like there's other stuff on either. It's not like yeah. there's like NFL or college football on like the next couple days, you know. It's, yeah. Baseball's still in spring training. Yeah, and you don't even feel It's oh, a sports know. hangover. Uh, it really is. But it's the thing about a hangover is usually with a hangover you want to avoid the alcohol. You don't <laughs> yeah, want to go back. Like, give this me more. Is, give me more. So maybe it's not the a hangover. Withdrawal. Maybe it's maybe it's a, yeah, it's a withdrawal. It's it's you know, we were hooked on basketball crack 
for and what a weekend, man. <laughs> yeah, it was. Okay, uh, our case of the Mondays today. Quick reference: my bracket. I picked Kentucky to win it all. A lot of people are in the same boat as me. I had them in the. Um, I had Kentucky and Auburn both in the final four. So you know what sucks? My wife picked. My wife uh, picked. Uh, I'm gonna mark that just and play <laughs> randomly. You just going. You know what sucks? My wife. No, oh gosh. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, she doesn't actually. She's a great person. She picked Murray State to go to the the Elite Eight, or maybe really? she's just, I don't know. She picked Murray State to beat Kentucky, and so like, so I'm she had, she was really thinking. Hey. Exactly. Murray State loses to freaking St. Peter's 15 seed, and I, like that that stinks. It's like you actually might have had the right process there. You just got the wrong results. Yeah, that's. I mean, look, that's three times now. Uh, we're almost getting to a point where. Uh, it, when a two seed, I'm trying to think, it's been nine times a 15 has beaten a two. Three of those times, so 33% of the time historically, when a 15 beats a two, they also move on to the Sweet Which 16. Which is so weird. And that had never happened till 2013. They broke down the dam. Three of the last four, three of the last four 15s to beat a two went on to the Sweet 16. The one that didn't was Middle Tennessee State in 2016 over Michigan State. Well, okay, I... like. I saw something before the Kentucky-St. Peter's game where it was like St. Peter's has the best adjusted defensive efficiency of any 15 or 16 seed ever. I was like, okay, so they can, you know, hold Kentucky to 70, 60. And I, I am in awe that they made the Sweet 16. Yeah, I'm. are you more surprised about it, the Sweet 16, obviously, mm-hmm. but where do you rank this among... Um, Surprises for for fifty or any of them. That's we a can include, yeah. Even though technically the spread, the six UMBC over second, Virginia, right? uh, four I think third or fourth now. Okay. Yeah, I think that as far as the fifteens over twos, I think this is the most surprising for me. I would have said it was Norfolk State Missouri just because I thought Missouri, like I felt Missouri's biggest biggest problem that year was they couldn't defend. I thought that would catch up to them later. Yeah, but I just thought this—they're just—they've got—they're so athletic. There's well, no chance Norfolk State can run with them. The thing why I find this one more appalling is that Norfolk State did have a pro on their team. Kyle that's true. O'Quinn, O'Quinn was, got yeah, that's true. What a late first round pick or something like that. And on top of that, Missouri—a lot of people liked Missouri to go to the Final Four or something because they did have the sexy offense and style of play. Yeah. I would venture to guess that the amount of brackets that picked Kentucky, not just to make the Final Four, but to win it all. Yeah, they were the... Like, I bet you there were more people that picked Kentucky this year to win it all than even picked Missouri just to go to the Final Four. That's true. You're probably right. That was... I mean, And, and not only the name of Kentucky, but then also they were, until they lost to Tennessee, they were one of the hottest teams in the country until they lost to Tennessee in the SEC tournament. And, and a lot of people... I mean, you would have thought that 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 was going to game that would that was the game that would have refocused them. Um, I wouldn't have been shocked had Tennessee or had Kentucky lost in the Sweet Sixteen because they kind of had shown all year this ability to be to look at times just as good as Gonzaga, and then and they have, beat Arizona, but then have stretches where it's like seriously them mm-hmm. you lost to them, um, and so they they've had their moments this year so I. It, it wasn't shocking that they didn't make a Final Four. They haven't just been this dominant. They weren't like the 2015 Kentucky squad. But to lose, that one was crazy. Yeah, I mean, it was. It was, yeah. 
So my bracket's dead. Um, I have a couple other picks that that didn't pan out as well. So uh, case of the Mondays for my bracket. How about the graphics people for CBS and the Turner family, TNT, True TV, all those things? Uh, there were a lot of score bug issues over the course of the weekend. You know, somebody scores a basket, they give it to the other team, and you have to wait like a minute for it to go back. <laughs> By the way, it was good to see you, uh, mm-hmm. apparently a member of the KU basketball team, just photoshopping any face they wanted yeah. onto uh, How about KU that? basketball players. Yeah, what was up with that? Who? What, did we ever figure out I who no that idea. actually is? I just saw I saw two guys, and then, hey, wait, that's number 11, and that is definitely not Remy Martin. I did see... Uh, the, KU, the KU Hoops account even called him on it. Like, yes. What's happening? Uh, Gifhawk on Twitter, shout out to you, was doing some investigative research trying to figure out who it was. There are certain pictures where you can wonder if it is Marcus Garrett, but I'm not 100% on that. I wondered about Marcus Garrett when I saw it for the first time. Even then, that makes it very funny. Because not only is Marcus Garrett not on the team, he never wore number 11. And I... If you don't know what we're talking about, they showed a graphic of, like... Kansas, the and there Creighton, were, I think, three players. He was during the game against Creighton. Yeah, there, there, there were three, three players, players on, right? with two guys in the background and one guy in the front in the yelling. Front. And, and yeah, the, the wearing two, Remy Martin's and, jersey. And the two players, the, Ochai was one, right? There were two actual players in the background. But then the guy in the foreground was wearing a number 11 and was not a guy who plays for this KU <laughs> squad. No, he was not. They could use Mark. Hey, maybe that's the NCAA saying it's okay. Let Marcus come back. Yeah, if it that's is Marcus, right. I don't know. Uh, the other one was, I don't know if you saw this one. I cannot remember what game I was watching when they showed this. Um, it was one of the late games last night. And it, it, it showed a graphic, and it said, like, you know, Cinderella team, blah, 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 or something. And it goes, Blue Bloods advance. It says Kansas wins. North Carolina wins. UCLA wins, which I'm I'm not totally in on the UCLA blue blood, but if you want to put them there, I don't have a problem with it. They have the most national titles in the country, even though you know there's a lot of um, I guess information why that is. The other team that they wrote, did you see this graphic? I, I saw the note on the rundown. Yeah, was Michigan, <laughs> which I'm trying they have to the understand. Color, they have the color blue. <laughs> By my count, I could be wrong. I, well, I'd have to go. I don't know the history of the tournament far enough back. I know they won the national title in 89. I think that's their only title, though, right? I don't know about before that. I know they haven't won one since then. 93, 90, 90, 92 and 93 with the Fab Five. They lost in the national. Or Listen, maybe, Michigan is a good basketball They're a very good They program. are a very good program. They're not a blue blood. I don't even think they're close to a They could win the next. They could you know, they could win the title this year and win it next year. They're still not a blue blood. Yeah. I let's see. Uh Final Fours. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight final fours. One tournament championship. Okay. So they've got the one. How are they a blue blood? Yeah, that's I would have to disagree with Do you think it's like an intern who's a Michigan fan and he maybe just, he wanted to upset Michigan State? Or I mean, you could uh, Ohio State. I just realized I don't think Duke was on the list. Michigan That's was. hilarious. I don't know. Maybe this they showed this before the Duke game. I don't remember when it was. It just it, it was yesterday at some point. That was kind of funny. So graphics people for CBS having a case of the Mondays today. Uh, Maryland fans are going to be having a case of the Mondays today. Mark Turgeon fired midway through the season, and a lot of the reason why was that you know with Mark Turgeon it felt like yeah we've we've been solid we've had okay seasons. We've never gotten over the hump, and we feel like our ceiling isn't there. And, and you know, 
I, I don't really, I know a lot of people do make a lot of this sometimes of the idea that um, sometimes schools think that they're better than they actually are. And it's very true, but I also don't really have a problem with it to a certain, like, yes, there are certain lines, but you know, who, who am I to say that you can't aspire to be yeah, better, right? This isn't, but this wasn't Auburn, this wasn't Auburn firing Gus Malzahn. But it was that's what I'm thinking of the right guy. Yeah, right? yeah. Gus Mal- this wasn't Auburn firing Gus Malzahn, but it still was pretty like look in the mirror a little bit. Right. I think I think the Gary Williams run with Juan Dixon, you made back to back final fours in 01 and 02. You won a national title in 02. That might have given Maryland kind of a false sense of who they are. Like I, I would even say, I think in thirty years, Virginia fans, when Tony Bennett is gone, it's going to be the same. Yeah, way, right. Like, and, and maybe Florida hasn't turned into this because they've they're they're even with the Billy Donovan, even though they've won two basketball national. Oh no, they've won they've won a football national title since the last basketball one. They won it with Tim Tebow in 08. but they won, you know. They've won two national basketball titles in this, you know, century. Same amount as football. They won the two with Urban Meyer in 06 and 08. Um, but I maybe it's because they're more football-centric down there. They they don't feel that. But I would, I mean, Florida isn't like this. And they're not, they got two national titles, and they were three. They're four or five years more recently than Maryland. I, Maryland, I think, kind of has a look in the mirror situation yeah um but there is something to be said if you're an ad it, it takes guts to do this but yeah so anyway, if well, you're an ad and you want to say uh and i'm sorry i know we got to get well i was gonna to say this. we should probably get to this what actually happened yeah, i was um, just gonna say if you're an ad and you look at your coach and say no way does this guy win a national title here okay move on yeah so they let go of turgeon midway through the year the move that they made over the weekend they hired kevin willard who's the head coach of seton hall i think he's a good head coach does a good job Nothing, like, special, but good head coach. He has won one NCAA tournament game. So if you're moving on from Turgeon for, like, a higher ceiling, what yeah. are you doing here? Kevin Willard, by the way, just basically said after they lost to TCU, I'm gone. Yeah, that was a that Which was wild. Everyone was criticizing him for that. I kind of enjoy the honesty. It did, he didn't dance around, no, well, I love it here. and that, He didn't dance around. He said, I don't know if I'll be here, but if I leave, I really hope they hide. Didn't he try to give uh, love to the St. Peter's yes. guy who played at Seton Hall? Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, I, that was not, that's not a hire. That was kind of like the Magic Johnson. He's like, I'm not going to be here. Yeah. <laughs> I just, with, um, but yeah, with, with the guy they could have hired, I feel like you, you, that's one of those where you better have like, you know, you'll, you'll take some shots, some PR shots for it, but you had better have, like, Rick Pitino in your back pocket <laughs> yeah. and be like, this is the guy. So then at least your fans will have a lot of a very successful coach to rally around. By the way, Rick Pitino, coach of Iona. Iona won the regular season over St. Peter's, who finished second. Kentucky fans want to fire John Calipari. Rick Pitino. Bring back Right Pitino? out in front of you. Right there. Oh, you're just saying, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Cleveland Browns, PR workers, you're going to be having a case of the Mondays because you probably have to deal with a lot over the weekend that maybe in some cases hey, you didn't ask for hey, and in others you did. Derek, hmm. it was a very thorough vetting process. Mm, yeah, I'm sure it was. Vetting process. Oh, he's available via trade? Okay. Uh, Deshaun Watson, Kareem Hunt, Antonio uh, Brown I saw on Twitter was like, let's make it the Antonio Cleveland Browns. Do you imagine if they signed him? It's a 
I don't know. At this it's, point, it's you would You know, it's just the whole organization's a disaster. I don't think Deshaun wins. Well, you Super know what's Bowl weird? There. Most times when teams are bad for a really long period of time, like whenever they get good, people are like, cool, good for them. Or they'll like root for them. If they have no rooting interest. No one's going to say that about the Browns. Nobody ever. Yeah. You know, for the next, whatever, 20, 30 years. So not only are they a horribly run franchise, they're public enemy number one. Browns have the same problem. Now, I think they're in a worse situation because of all the awful trouble Deshaun Watson is in. To be clear, no legal trouble. They cleared him of all that for now. Um, but I I think the Browns, I think the Browns have the same problem, and the reason I don't think the Bengals should really plan to have a dynasty is because their ownership is horrid. I would argue the Browns have a worse shot of getting back to the Super Bowl with Deshaun Watson than the Bengals do with Joe Burrow. The, the Browns, top to bottom, are, are a destructive, toxic organization. Yeah, they are, and this only adds that. Last story for Case of the Mondays. TikTokers around the world in for a world of hurt because competition level has just been raised. Juju Smith-Schuster signs with the Chiefs. Juju, Jackson Mahomes taking over the TikTok world. I don't really have anything to add from the TikTok, but do you like the signing of Juju Smith-Schuster? I like the signing of Juju Smith-Schuster, yes. Yeah. Um, I that's all I really have. I you know I'm I, yes I like the signing. I I I, I outwardly support. You know I, I outwardly said I, I would like him. Um, they got him. I I like that it's just a one year deal. Um, and I would like if he proved proved it and forced him to call, sign him to a two or three year deal after this year. Um, I do think and we all have to talk about this in a different segment. I. As time goes on, I'm less. I I I still think Tyreek Hill comes back, but I think at one point you got to say, did they sign him to pair with Tyreek Hill, or did they sign him because Tyreek Hill saw what Devonte Adams got, and those negotiations aren't going so smoothly right now? Maybe, but then I would think it would be longer than a one year deal. That yes, you're right. I think this is yeah. It just helps intermediate receiver. I'm sure they'll draft someone too. Uh, I love the move. All right. With Adam Dravet, I'm Derek Johnson. That's Case of the Mondays. Let's talk about the NCAA tournament next. This is Rock Truck Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Down to just 16 teams. There's there's a moment of, of sadness, I think, after the second round ends because... It's, yeah, it helps when KU is yeah, still it in it because it, it gives you something to be exciting about. Excited it's just like about. there's so many less games but now. It, yeah, the, it feels like a post, like if a really exciting vacation. You're in, in, and when you get back from that vacation, it feels like that post vacation, post holiday letdown yes. every year after the first weekend of the tournament. It but really wasn't does. It so much like I was happy to have the tournament back last year. Expect you know after missing it in twenty. But, like, it's back, back now. Yeah. You, Didn't, wasn't that great with fans? Oh, my gosh. It was so much better. The environment was so much better. Um, Yeah, I, I that was, was really missed. So, I want to go through all the different regions. We're going to split this up. We'll talk about the East and the West um, in this segment. And then the next segment, we'll talk about the South and the Midwest. David Lawrence is going to join us at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. Um, so we'll start in the West. Gonzaga gets through to the Sweet 16. They take down Memphis in the second round. I don't really have any first-round thoughts of, of either of those teams. That was a really exciting second-round game, though, between Gonzaga and Memphis. They both played at a high pace. Memphis got up 10 points at half. Uh, Jalen Duran is, is really good. He's going to be a top-10 pick, and uh, he gave him a lot to handle inside. Memphis has a bunch of athletes. Um, but in the end, Gonzaga ends up winning the game, and I... 
I can't help but wonder if like that, you know, if if you're gonna take the shot at the king, better hit right. I, I wonder yeah, if that's the I shot. Mean, I go back, um, and this is gonna come from a KU standpoint, but in 2003. KU was the two, and their one was Arizona. And, and Kansas ultimately wound up beating Arizona in the Elite Eight in a great, great game. Um, but that year, uh, Gonzaga, funnily enough, was Arizona's either eight or nine and took them to double overtime. Mm. And you kind of thought if Arizona was going to lose, that was going to be the one. Um, you felt that way against Duke, Duke, Central Florida in 2019. When Central Florida gave them all they could handle, you thought, okay, that's the test. Duke's going to be fine now. I kind of felt I didn't I didn't think Duke would have trouble against Virginia Tech, but after they did have trouble against Virginia Tech, I thought they really could lose to Michigan State in the Elite Eight because that's two straight games. It's not like they rebounded. They got scared by Central Florida. Okay, now they're back focused, and they beat Virginia Tech by 30 in the Sweet 16. It, they almost lost to Virginia Tech. But this, and then um, the other one that comes to mind is, um, I believe, Memphis in 2008. And it was a purple, or a, 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 it was a maroon team. And I can't ever remember if it's Texas A&M or Mississippi State. Because one of those teams gave, was it Texas A&M or Mississippi State that gave Ohio State all they could handle in 07 with the famous Gus, Gus John? Oh, no, that was Xavier. I'm sorry. It was Xavier. Xavier. Yeah. We're going to overtime. And Lexington, that <laughs> Gus Johnson call. Yes. Um, so that was another example, and that Ohio State team made it all the way to the national title game. Memphis, it was either Mississippi State or Texas A&M. I can only remember the uniform color. They gave Memphis- No, you know what? I think that was UCLA that year in 08. Was it? UCLA had all sorts of trouble from A&M, and uh, it was like tied or they were up one, and, and Russell Westbrook or somebody got a steal and dunked it like his time ran out. Okay, okay, that made yeah. it. But in, that's made a team that made four. all the way to the Final Four. I swear Memphis. But, yes, the overall point is um, there, you know, there are certain teams you're like, no, if they were going to have trouble, that was the game where they were going. It was. So Memphis beat Mississippi State by three. Oh, okay. And they both did. Texas A&M be, or UCLA beat Texas A&M by two. Uh, so, yeah, it was, it was Texas A&M and Mississippi State both gave their respective one seeds trouble. But, again, those teams got by their their second round scare and UCLA all the way to the final four, Memphis all the way to the national title game. So that is one of those things where it's like if they were going to get got, you could very well think. And we came in, uh, I don't know if it was Monday after the bracket was revealed, but at some point off the air during show prep, you and I both said, God, I'm glad Memphis is not in our eight or nine, in KU's eight or nine game. Oh, yeah. I think you watched that game. We saw, we'll get to UNC in a minute here, but. Um, heck, even TCU, not that TCU was ever in jeopardy of being KU's uh, nine seed because they're in the same conference, but the way that all those teams performed makes you, although I, you know, every, Creighton went 12 of 28 seed, from three, so. Yeah, every one seed got scared. Yeah, they the really first, did. In the first round, and, and one of them lost, um, or in the, not in the first round, in the first weekend. I, uh, I'll say this, if Roy Williams was coaching North Carolina, they're, they're, our eight or, they're KU's eight or nine, <laughs> and I don't mean that. Like I don't believe in the in the NCAA fixes seeds to get certain matchups, but I believe if they have a certain seed decided, like North Carolina was KU's one seed in in 2012, then North Carolina was KU's eight seed in 2013. Now I don't think in 2013 they were like, well, we actually think North Carolina is a ten or a seven. 
but let's make them an eight so we have that much of. I don't think they did that, but I think once they declare what a certain seed, what a certain team is seed wise, they try to find intriguing matchups. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I just think it's true. Okay, so uh, further down the list in the West, New Mexico State upsets UConn. It was a phenomenal. Pr- Teddy Allen, former West Virginia player, goes for thirty-seven points. Uh, that's more interesting to me because. You know, it's it's not always in the NCAA tournament that you have to beat the best team. It's that you either do have to do that or hope that somebody else does. And I don't think UConn's the best team. But I do think UConn would have matched up intriguingly with Gonzaga. They could have slowed it down, played good defense, but they never got going. Teddy Allen goes off. They advance. And then Arkansas gets by a Vermont team. Our, uh, Vermont was really fun. I, I enjoyed watching them with... Uh, Ryan Davis or something like that, and then Arkansas moves on. They play New Mexico State, most disgusting game of the tournament, so I don't really want to talk about it. Arkansas shot 27% in advance, so Arkansas can zag on that end. Further down in the West, um, Alabama loses to Notre Dame. I kind of thought Alabama would be a bad matchup for Tech, but I didn't think Alabama would get by the 11 seed, whoever it was. Sure enough, Notre Dame gets hot, moves on to the second round. Texas Tech was elite in the first game against Montana State. They had trouble with Notre Dame yesterday, but they get by. And I think, um, you know, Duke, I'm sure, was rooting very much for Notre Dame. Uh, You would be playing a conference opponent who was an 11 seed. Now you have to play a rugged Texas Tech team. Texas Tech did not play well against Notre Dame, and they won. That has to make you feel good if you're the Red Raiders. Yeah, but I do think their offense is going to catch up to them eventually, or lack thereof. I mean, it almost did in that game. Yeah, it, but I think it, I don't know. I, I, it but has I, crept you're up right, to you, top you, 50 in the country, though. You what? It has crept up into top 50 in the country. But yeah, you, you could also say that maybe Texas Tech had their bad you know, defense or bad offensive night. Um, what I think Tech more needs to look out, I think a lot of their nights are going to be bad offensively. What I think Tech, I would be more impressed with Tech had Notre Dame had one of those games where they just went nuts and shot like 14 of 30 from three, and Tech overcame that. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. They're a defensive team, so I would have been more impressed had Tech over. If you're a de- great defensive team, you think, okay, but there's going to be one team where – doesn't matter what we do. They just are having a crazy hot night. And Tech hasn't had to overcome that yet. No. Um, I will say this, though. This is pretty incredible. So 2019 Tech went to the final, almost won it all, had one of the highest graded, I think it was it was like top three, adjusted defensive efficiency seasons of all time. It was an 84.1 rating. This year's team is up to 84.4. Wow. So it's one of the best defenses. And there's, the thing about Duke is – and, and I think Duke more so than Gonzaga, although Gonzaga has um, uh, Chet Holmgren, who's mm-hmm. young. But Duke is a somewhat young team. Now, they're not as young. Th- that team in 2015 that beat Wisconsin to win the national title was basically two freshmen. So they're not that sort of young, but they're still the kind of young that I think if you're Texas Tech, not only is your defense just really good, that good defense is going to make Duke bothered. Yeah. And and then and then that'll that could if Duke's not careful, they'll get stopped by Tech simply because Tech sometimes just is great defensively, but then other times because that's bothering them so much, that could lead to Duke making stupid mistakes without Tech's help. Duke barely getting by Michigan State in the second round. The Davidson Michigan State game, 
was interesting because Foster Lawyer, the transfer from Michigan State, did not have a good game. I think it was uh, Brendan Quinn. I Maybe not. Somebody of the Athletic wrote that uh, Foster Lawyer is likely to go to Michigan State as like a grad assistant or something like that after he's done in college. Was he shaving points? <laughs> no, honestly, I think Tom I'll Izzo, give you a job if you lose the, this game. Tom Izzo would be less like... Tom Izzo, like, would be less likely. That's true. Like, I lost all respect for you. I'm, yeah. Like, he would have been, it would have been one of those things where, like, uh, what's the line and dot? Like, if Foster Lawyer had gone off and scored, like, you know, 45 points and they won, Izzo would be like, I hate you, <laughs> but I, I respect yeah, you. But damn it, Ron Burgundy, I uh, respect yeah, you. Yeah, not dodgeball. Uh, uh, Anchorman, Anchorman. Yeah. yeah. But <laughs> I respect you. Welcome aboard. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Okay, uh, on to the East. Baylor wins their first game, lose to North Carolina. That was maybe the game of the week. I don't know. It is a great start to the second round. Uh, Baylor gets down 25 points that to North was... Carolina, and then Brady Manick gets ejected on a flagrant two. Which... Is there going to be any word? I wouldn't. I thought, can you not play the next game? No. I, all I saw so, like, was targeting. Just, no. All I saw was the possibility that he might. I don't think it's defend. I don't think there's any written rule in, in the books that if you get a flagrant two, you're out the next game. But I think it's possible. I'm, there was no. That was just a blatant pop. It wasn't. Oh, I'm trying to clear out, and you're four inches shorter than me, and I accidentally hit you in the jaw with my elbow, even though I was just trying to to you know do whatever. He, that was that was not a basketball play at, at all. No, he just elbowed a dude, and I wouldn't be shocked. And I'm not even sure if I disagree with it. If they if they say no, you're sitting for the Sweet 16, or at least the first half. I did. I thought it should have just been a flagrant one because I've I've seen worse stuff be called a flagrant. I just didn't you know, see anything know. about it that suggested it was a basketball play. Yeah, I guess. I mean, he was kind of boxing him out. I don't know. Either way, after that happens. Baylor goes on this incredible run. Yeah, that was amazing. Um, did you see Scott Drew on the the final play After of North regulation? Carolina missed. Yeah, R.J. Yeah. Davis is shooting the the like game one shot. Which, by the way, that was. I mean, they they almost deserve to lose for that alone. Uh, tie game. After they blow it, they didn't know how to handle the press the whole way down the stretch, and they run it up the floor. Take a timeout with like 10, 11 seconds. And that's the play. You that's get out the, of the play timeout. you run. Uh, one guy holds the ball for 10 seconds and shoots a 30-foot three. What, what's going That's on That's either an awful play to draw up or they just got out there and the dude was dribbling. And He's said, like, I want to be the hero. Or, or Yeah, he either thought, I want to be the hero or giving him some credit saying, well, wait, this is a different defense than we expected out of Baylor. I got to change it up. But either way, that was either a bad decision by the point guard uh, or, or it was R.J. Davis. Yeah, yeah. It was either a bad decision by R.J. Davis or it was a terrible play. It was a waste of a timeout by Hubie. Yes, it was. But uh, Scott Drew's like covering his face for the shot. But North Carolina ends up winning in overtime, and that definitely adds to the breaking of the bracket in the East. We mentioned Kentucky losing already, so now you're down the ones and the two seeds. North Carolina moves on. UCLA just crush. Uh, this is very interesting because St. Mary's, destroyed Indiana. And then UCLA gave him... UCLA, I mean, if not for Tiger, Tiger Campbell just going yeah, off in was, the final two minutes, yep. Akron is moving on, and then who knows what this bracket looks like, but instead UCLA pretty handedly beats St. Mary's. Yeah, they. It, I think St. Mary's, it, it was worth watching, I think, till about seven minutes left or so in the second half. Um, so yeah, UCLA kind of went away with that one. Uh, 
What's interesting? It's just is weird the night and day from how how bad they looked against Akron to the guy who replaced Dean Smith took UNC to a Final Four as an eight or a nine. The Matt Doherty? No, that was the guy who replaced the was guy that, who replaced uh, him. It was Bill um, Guthridge. Bill Guthridge, yeah. yeah. Bill Guthridge took North Carolina. I'm pretty sure he took North Carolina to a Final Four in 2000. I think you're like right. An eight or a nine. I think you're right. Um, so could, could the guy that replaced Roy take UNC to a Final Four as an eight? And then at the bottom half of the bracket, Virginia Tech becomes yet another team that you know wins the conference title, flames out. I, I thought that game was less about like Virginia Tech not playing well, though. I just thought Texas played really well, and so I I kind of expected Texas to win last night against Purdue. Chris Beard had already beaten Purdue twice in the NCAA tournament, but Purdue just their big men just went off, and now Purdue is sitting there. You know, as, as much as I've dogged on the defense, because uh, the defense, it has gotten a little better in the NCAA tournament. It's still just 85th in the country. I still do not think they're going to make the Final Four, which is weird because they're playing a 15 seed. I'm just expecting them to lose in the Elite Eight. But the path is as open for them as it could ever yeah, be. The bracket broke wide open for them. The only way things could be better is if Akron had gotten by UCLA. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you were playing either St. Mary's or if uh, who'd St. Mary's beat? Indiana. Yeah, or yeah, one of those 11s um, or uh, 12s, I mean, got by St. Mary's, and so you were looking at an 8 versus a 12, and you're Purdue playing a 15. But other the bracket broke wide open for Purdue. Yeah. I just I think that – so they may, because the bracket is the way it is, they may wind up making the Final Four. But I, that, I think under normal circumstances, once they start playing good teams – that the defense is going to catch up to him. I agree. Murray State San Francisco was maybe the the first round game of the the East region. Uh but Murray State I thought kind of you blew an opportunity. Yeah, that was one of your chances for one of your programs best seasons. You can't get by St. Peters. Uh, shout out to St. Peters though. Real I mean, quick, the state of New Jersey ended the state of Kentucky. You had St. <laughs> Peters beating Kentucky, then St. Peters beating Murray State. And in the women's team, in the women's tournament, you had Princeton beating Kentucky. Wow! So New Jersey just owning Kentucky this weekend. St. Peter's is two hundred twenty fifth in the country in offense. They are three hundred thirteenth in two point percentage. But this, congratulations to them. Shaheen Holloway is going to get a big job off of this. It's probably done after this. Purdue's probably going to run them out of the gym. But congratulations to St. Peter's. Uh, phenomenal underdog. Somebody's got to be the story. first fifteen to make an elite eight. They though. do. Why not them? Right. All right, he's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. Let's talk about the South and the Midwest next. This is RCST. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Quarter till five. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. On to the South and the Midwest recaps here. Starting up in the South, TCU, Arizona made quick work of their first round game. That was the last game of the night last night. Electric. <laughs> Electric. <laughs> what a way to close it out. Seriously. That might have been the best second round game. Yeah. It's certainly go, up there. If you go back through them, I it's hard it to pick. It, that, it's for like that picking one, favorite children. But that, that one, man, it, it, that one was... I don't know how you're going to beat it. Well, see, and and I the same question I asked you about like, is this your chance to to hit the king? You better not miss. Yeah, I wonder if that's the case. Although this one's different than the West. Like in the West, I, think I don't Nova really 
Villanova's still really That's the thing. I, heck, I could see Houston beating Arizona. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Houston traps the post really well, so that might eliminate a little bit of Christian Coloco inside, who was amazing against TCU. And um, Houston's actually ranked higher on Ken Palm than Arizona. Arizona tra- travels well, but that game's in San Antonio. Yeah, so Houston... Do you know, is it going to be um, in the Alamo Dome, or is it going to be where the Spurs play? Because in the Final Four, it's in the Alamo Dome. but And, and historically... Because for the longest time, the regionals were in football stadiums. It's the AT&T Center. Oh, that's where the Spurs play. Okay, because okay. there was, like, it, it, in uh, 2011, when Kansas lost to VCU, I'm pretty positive that game was in the Alamo Dome, even though it was a regional. For the longest time, they had the regionals in football stadiums, too, and then they moved them back to basketball arenas. Um, so that one, yeah, but, so it's going to be more of an intimate atmosphere than the football stadium would be. But, that's I mean, you, you got Houston in texas um i'll say this though like tcu they showed how tough of a t- i mean we knew they were so tough and everything that would have been a, a program defining win for them yeah they are going to be really really good next season yeah they're bringing basically everybody back mm-hmm. um dixon's got it rolling man they had, i don't think they've ever been to a sweet 16 and they were i mean they were you know you could call you could argue they were a missed foul call away i, I don't think it was as blatant as a lot of people do that play at the end, and I, I think it is. I thought it was I, pretty clearly a foul, I, but but I think it's a I think it's a, a play one. I think the the refs the refs screwed up because if you look, the, there always needs to be one ball or one uh, ref near the ball, and all three of them just went all the way down to the key. Um, so that was a mistake, but I, I've that's not that's a that's a it's not an unusual precedent. Like the precedent has been set. That the refs swallow their whistles. Yeah. So it was. A, I it think was, there has to be a line there, though. I right? would agree, but I I don't think. I guess I've seen more egregious go uncalled, and I think a lot of it was a little bit of flopping and acting on the part of like the head throwing back on the TCU players' part. I wouldn't have disagreed, and in fact, I'll not only would I would have. I will say I do disagree with the fact that it wasn't a foul call, but I also have seen more egregious things go uncalled at the end of games. So, yes, I, I do agree. But I, I think, you know, if we step back and, and look at some other games, like I'll just jump to the Midwest real quick. Providence beats South Dakota State. And they might have won the game anyway, but they were up, I think, three points, had the ball with, you know, under a minute left. And they shoot a three, and they call a, a bad foul call. That was not a foul. Yeah. That he gets three free throws, and that, for its worth, ends the game. Yep. That's them not swallowing the whistle late. The Miami-USC game. Miami-Charlie Moore drives yeah, yeah, in yeah. a tie game. I didn't think that one was a foul either. They call it, he gets two free throws. So I I, I think it is a little unfortunate. But again, like I, I'm never someone who... There's so many more things that go into the game than just one missed calls. Yeah. And like... Refs are human too. Players mess up. Coaches mess up. That's that the happens, thing. right? If, that's exactly right. Is, is you know... You, if we come away in in a certain player, man, he he only shot one mm-hmm. for twelve. You say he had a bad game, and, exactly. But that's part. But you just accept players and coaches occasionally having bad games as part of life. Like if TCU and wanted to win, refs. don't give up every single yeah. offensive rebound in overtime. So or you, how about yeah. this? How about instead of when he's being doubled before it could have been called a foul, you could pass out of it, or yeah. they had a timeout. But use a timeout, right? Or how about on the possession where you're up three with. 20 seconds left you get out on the all-american national player of the yeah. year and i get it it was still like a 26 foot three but 
maybe you make it a little more uncomfortable for him. But what a freaking game. It was a great game. What a freaking game. It was. Uh, Houston... Houston was as impressive as any team for me. I think more so. I had UAB winning, so maybe it was just by expectation. They looked really good. Illinois-Chattanooga was another disgusting game. Chattanooga had no business losing that game, but they did. Yeah. Um, Illinois, You, I mean, Illinois, you want to talk about a team that you could say, well, they played their one ugly game and escaped it against Chattanooga. They should be fine. Mm-hmm. They got... I think we just learned Illinois was not that good. Yeah, and they played. They, they got screwed on that technical, by the way. But I that think was they a terrible lost anyway. call. They that was a terrible anyway. call. Um, but yeah, I, I I agree. I think they lose anyway. But man, Houston uglies things up. They really do. Um, the Chattanooga Houston. If that would have happened, that could have been really ugly. Silvio was was awesome. He just got into foul trouble. The missed free throws killed him at the end. They, they couldn't score. That was a frustrating one to watch as somebody who was, who was rooting for Chattanooga there. Michigan, with the ultimate redemption story that nobody asked for, because now we're getting all this redemption pub of Juwan Howard when it's like, dude, you did this to yourself. This isn't yeah. something that was imposed on you, and now That's, you're coming. Like, this isn't Kelvin Sampson where it was a dumb rule that got him fired and out of college basketball yeah. for a few years, and now he's coming back. It, like you punch someone or I, whatever, slap I do, them. I don't, I don't think Juwan Howard should be coaching right now. I I said that when it happened, I would have I would have suspended him for the rest of the season. That said, I also would have given Greg Gard a suspension. I think he got away scot free, and he should. I think Greg Gard should have gotten multiple game suspension too, because he could have just let whatever Juwan Howard say go, and none of that ever would have happened. Regardless, um, you know, credit where credit's due. Juwan Howard had a very nice moment at the end of that game. With um, who they beat? Tennessee player. I can't remember who in was, the second round. Was it the yeah. Tennessee player? or Was it the six seed that they beat? No, it was Tennessee. Yeah, okay. The six seed was Colorado State. He had a very nice moment uh, with a Tennessee player at the end of the game, mm-hmm. and so you know, you know, talk about the the punch. I think you talk about the other side of it too. He had a great moment with him. I don't think Juwan Howard's a bad guy. I think he did something really stupid, uh, and and should have been suspended mm-hmm. longer than he was. But the fact is. He didn't get suspended. The deci- well, he he didn't get suspended as long as I thought she should have. The decision was made, and now Michigan's in the Sweet Sixteen yeah. for the second straight year. They've always had a talented team. Mountain West was terrible this tournament, so Colorado State lost. I was I was not surprised they won. I mean, they were actually the Vegas favorite, even though they were a whatever, however you want to term it, higher seed, lower seed. Um, I was pretty surprised they beat Tennessee. Tennessee has had an elite defense all season long. They had an awesome point guard in Kennedy Chandler. Rick Barnes has had a lot of trouble in the NCAA. Like, ever since they made it to the Elite Eight in um, 2008, I don't believe, and this is with Texas and Tennessee, in a lot of years he has gotten, you know, a two or a three seed or a four seed. I don't think he's made it to the Elite Eight since then, and I'm trying to even remember. There was a Tennessee Sweet 16 trip a couple years ago when people thought they could be a Final Four team. It's been kind of a struggle. Did they have for him. a crazy game in 2019 against Iowa? Yes, in the second round, Isaiah Moss went off when he was. Because we were him. driving from Tahoe to Reno, and we were pulling into yes. Reno with that game on our phone. Yes, Isaiah Moss went off. That was his uh, last game as a Hawkeye, I believe, before he transferred. Uh, so Tennessee just just bows out. I I thought they were good enough to make a Final Four, but that obviously didn't come to fruition. Ohio State beats Loyola. Nothing really to say there. Another disgusting game. Villanova looked really good this weekend. Yeah, they're, they're, they've emerged, I think, as, um, I don't know, if you're reseeding it, they're a top, if you're reseeding everything, they're a one seed right now. Yeah. Probably over on the east, you know, 
you can't you can't make them a one seed in their own region because of Arizona. But if I, I guess let me let me put it this way: if you're reseeding things, they're I a think top they're four a top four team. Yes, yeah, uh, they're making shots. They're they're a matchup nightmare for a lot of teams because their guards know how to post up, and so if you have smaller guards, <clears throat> Kansas. You're going to get bullied on the block you by their other guards. You also said Gillespie, in a lot of years, he wouldn't be thought of as a high-level guard, but because the guard play this year in college basketball isn't super great, um, especially now with Ty Ty Washington being out of the tournament, Colin Gillespie might be the – I mean, Remy Martin and Colin Gillespie might be conversation <laughs> for the best, isn't best that wonderful? guards left. Which, yeah, Kansas moves on. Remy – I mean, that is the real conversation now. Like, Remy is one of the best point guards in the tournament. And DeWan – I don't know. You could probably say he's one of the most trustworthy point guards left in the tournament. That has to make you feel good about a position that we didn't know how good it would be for KU. Uh, the Creighton-San Diego State game was was pretty wild. We, we've talked a lot about Kansas. We're going to talk more in the 5 o'clock hour, so uh, we don't need to go yeah, too much over that. The next- Richmond beating Iowa. Again, something we said last week. I mentioned this with Virginia Tech. There's always the teams who win their conference tournament, get hot, and they flame out in the first round. Then there's some teams who are able to capitalize and, and ride the carry that momentum. And Iowa flamed out. Iowa was the flame out. They did not shoot well. Richmond played pretty well. It was, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it was not a good, you know, it, it was, yeah, just not a good. And, and Iowa, again, Fran, um, Fran McCaffrey has still never been to a Sweet 16. Which is wild. Which is crazy. I thought this team, like, it made sense to me that last year's team lost early because they weren't athletic. You just had a bunch of shooters on the floor. So if you get a bad matchup, which they did with a really athletic Oregon team, that's what happens. This year, it didn't make sense to me because Keegan Murray is supposed to be a matchup nightmare and is supposed to give you more athleticism at the five position and everything. And they just still could not figure it out. And how about Providence? Everybody picking against them and they make their way to the Sweet 16. I think Iowa and Auburn who, funnily enough, were in the same bracket. Um, I think they were both examples of teams coming in where you could go, yes, that could be a Final Four team. Yes, that could be a team that loses in the first weekend. Yeah, The more I'm learning with, with brackets, I think teams that are like that, because the, the first one that comes to mind for me, this was maybe 10 years ago. St. John's got a six seed one year. And I remember that year. They had beaten like three top five opponents or three like number one teams or something they'd beaten duke and whoever was winning the big east at the time and the talk was man this team can beat any good team in the country they could be a final four team but they've also lost to a lot of bad teams and they lost in the first round and that's what alabama same way alabama beat baylor alabama beat all these good teams right and they lose in the first round i think a lot of times those teams that are high risk high row or I guess high risk, high reward. They lose early, and yeah. maybe Providence is the opposite of that. Yeah. They're kind of like low risk, low reward, right? Providence. Um, they're playing with a sense of freedom, I think, because they they can play the card. They can play the nobody believes in us card. Yeah, but overall, bracket breaks open for KU. I know for a lot of fans, after tw- like if you said that prior to 2011, you'd see great. Now the 2011 the happened. In, in 2011, I think a lot of people were going, "Hey, this is breaking for us the same way it did in 2008." And now I think fans are going, "Oh, oh no, 2011." Yeah, exactly. Iowa State's defense looked great over the week. And they're going to be nuts in Chicago. They are. They're going to have a ton of fans there. Um, I was shocked that Miami beat Auburn. I I thought that Auburn was prone to lose early in the tournament, but then when I saw the draw that they were getting USC or Miami, I was like, oh, they're for sure in the Sweet 16. I was shocked that they put up a whimper. They didn't even put up a fight. I don't think – I wouldn't – 
shocked, shocked that they lost to Miami, but I, I was stunned that it was not even a game for the last four or five minutes. It's just wild how tight everything is. Miami goes from barely beating USC to blowing out Auburn in the second round. So things are open for Kansas. That is your NCAA tournament first round and second round recap. With Adam Brevet, I'm Derek Johnson. Two hours down. One to go. Rock Chalk Sports Talk continues next. We're going to be joined by David Lawrence on the other side. This is FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com. Depend on it.